Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The reason it's so appealing, the reason that we want to be controlling, is there is that perfectionistic part of it. It's how we look to the world and how we're managing our schedule, how everything is going like clockwork. And then this fear that we have that if we lose control, if we release control, if we give it up, that things are going to go to hell in a handbasket. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. And before we get started today, I have to ask you a question. Okay. I saw one of your Instagram stories where you were on TV with John Hamm, and I wanted you to please explain <laughs> that. <laughs> that sounds so much better than it actually was. So here's what was really happening. I was out in California doing a challenge success event in San Francisco. I'm in the process of promoting the book, so they're trying to get me on all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I was on Midday Live, which is a show on KGO in San Francisco. So they wanted to have me do a little blurb on anxiety. They get you into like the virtual green room. So I'm on cue. I'm sitting there in my box. And in the box right above me is John Hamm being interviewed. He's got a new movie coming out. So I had to sit there for like five minutes just waiting while John Hamm was above me talking about his movie. And so I'm trying to figure out like, all right, how can I, how can I record this? But I also know that the producers are watching me. So I don't want to look like a total bozo head, which I ultimately did look like a bozo. So I take out my big, huge camera on my big, huge cell phone. And I like scan across trying to record both John Hamm and I on TV together. So that's what you saw. It was very split screen, Carol and Mike Brady. Yes, it was. But sadly, like Carol looks at Mike smiling. <laughs> and then in this scenario, Mike Brady didn't know who you were. Mike Brady, I don't even think that uh, John Hamm slash Mike Brady knew that I was there. Yeah, but that was okay. I mean, it was fun just sitting there, you know, listening to John Hamm talking about his movie and then talk to me for three minutes about anxiety. And the book comes out in about a month. And so that's sort of a lot of my life right now is doing these little blurbs on radio shows or podcasts or TV news programs, etc. It's actually coming out October 18th, so it's less than a month now. Oh, less than a month. That's right. Exciting. So today we're going to talk about control freaks and control. Yeah, control. Anxiety loves control, right? Anxiety loves certainty. Anxiety loves control and society loves control. Although we pretend that we don't, we really like it. We like talking about how in control we are. There is a difference between sort of emotional management, we talk about self-control, and the control that we sort of try and put onto our environment. Internal control, good. External control, bad. Internal control, good up to a point, because sometimes internal control becomes suppression. 
sometimes internal control becomes like, I cannot feel anything. I cannot show anything. And again, there are times when external control is important, right? If you are with your four kids at a Six Flags, you want to keep some control of them. It's when it goes far in one direction that we have a problem. Control is an interesting thing because in our perfectionism episode that we did that I think was a game changer, not just for me, but for many others listening, control is tricky because most people who have a certain level of professional success, they have skills that control outcomes. Mm -hmm. They create outcomes that are the desired outcomes. So you learn how to control things to get the outcome that you want. Mm Mm-hmm. The bigger our control muscle, the more effective that we are and the more that we're rewarded for it. Right. And then it just gets like a little muddier. When do you stop that? And when do you not bring it into your interpersonal relationships? Right. And even in our professional relationships, that we have to really pay attention to the all or nothing nature of control. And the reason it's so appealing, the reason that we want to be controlling is there is that perfectionistic part of it. It's how we look to the world and how we're managing our schedule, how everything is going like clockwork. And then this fear that we have that if we lose control, if we release control, if we give it up, that things are going to go to hell in a handbasket. So if we're talking about emotional control, for example... I might talk to somebody who says, I have so much pain inside me, or I have so much grief inside me that I feel like if I let it go, I'll never stop. So people will say, I can't show emotion, or I can't cry, or I can't let down this facade because as soon as the facade comes down, there's going to be a torrent of emotion or reaction or things that make me very uncomfortable. When we're talking about control, we're really talking about a way of managing outcomes in a way that doesn't feel scary to us sometimes and overwhelming to us. That's what perfectionism is about too. It's very all or nothing. We don't want to be all or nothing. So I don't want to say like, release control, surrender control, but it's about being able to recognize where is your control And in this case, we're talking about a lot of external control. Where is it getting in the way of your relationships? Where is it inhibiting connection? Where is it making you, to be quite honest, a giant pain in the ass to other people? It's appealing. It feels good, but it's a heck of a lot of work. And it feels so fraught because this idea that if you lose control, you lose everything That's what really drives a lot of what we call control freaks, right? They have to have things a certain way. I was talking with a friend of mine who is really going through a lot of professional burnout right now, as many people are, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking about why this was the case. And I said to my friend, it sounds like you have a couple of patterns that you are really stuck in in your work identity. That's making you feel like you're burning the candle at both ends and it's just frying you. Mm -hmm. What do you think those patterns might be? And so then later on, she said, well, I read not only like all of my emails, but I read all the emails and attend all the meetings of everyone who works for me. Mm. And I know I'm in the weeds, which is a phrase we use in corporate America, right? Like I'm just getting in the weeds. 
Well, I said, well, there you go. Mm -hmm. You're wanting to control in a professional capacity. You're wanting to control everyone who works for you. And you're lacking that skill of delegation, learning to delegate and releasing your control over your subordinates work. Right. So you can spend your time and your energy on the skills they're paying you at your level for. Mm -hmm. You've got to learn to separate that. So that's like a control thing right there. Yeah. And it's led her to get to a very successful point of authority in her work. But she's pretty fried now. And introducing delegation and letting it be and doing that, I think, would be a great skill. Yeah. And so if you think about it, control, wanting to have control often is based on being concerned, being worried, being afraid that something is going to reflect badly on you. Remember that as human beings, we're judging, we're evaluating, we're looking at other people. And so your friend, she wants to make sure that she controls all the meetings and all the emails because these are people that work for her. And so there's a fear that ultimately if they screw up, it will be a bad reflection on her. As parents, if our kids screw up or our kids don't do things perfectly or people are looking at us and things are messy or something is out of control, then that becomes a reflection on us that this is our failure. One of the things that you should pay attention to is that if you grew up in a family where things were either out of control a lot, so you had a lot of chaos in your family, you decided that you weren't going to live your life that way because not having adults have some semblance of control was very scary for you. So then you swing in the other direction and you want to have a lot of control. And then the other thing you want to pay attention to was, were you in a family where a child, and maybe it was you, or maybe it was one of your siblings, were given a lot of control? Control or responsibility? Well, responsibility is the nicer word for it. What do you mean by that? Yes. So you're making the distinction, which is a good one, is that there are some families where a child has to step in and take responsibility because the parents are so inept. Or intoxicated. Correct. Inept for a variety of reasons. One may be intoxicated, right? So you learn how to do that. The other way that sometimes kids are, are given a lot of control is that they are put up on a pedestal that they are given more responsibility on purpose than they can handle. So you've got an eight-year-old who's deciding where the family goes for dinner, what's going to be served, where they're going to sleep, what time everybody's going to bed, where people are sitting in the car. That happens in anxious families. I got to challenge your language, or I didn't hear you correctly. Mm -hmm. In that scenario, though, did you say that the parents are putting the kids on a pedestal? Yes. So they're sort of like elevating the children to the, I often say like this little nine-year-old is the king of the family. But if you're a listener to the podcast, what you're really saying is we're going to do everything we can to work around our nine-year-old's anxiety. Our nine-year-old's anxiety is calling the shots yeah. so that we avoid upsetting it. Sometimes it's not just anxiety. Sometimes kids are put in that position of control because the parents have an idea that, that as a parent, it's important to give your child everything that your child wants. So you elevate your child either because of their anxiety, which is controlling, or because you have this belief that your child is so amazing and special that they should be in charge. 
All of those scenarios oftentimes result in an adult who now values and is familiar with and wants to be in control. All of those things can lead to a person that wants to be in control and values control. Do you think as a therapist, because I know you've thought about this, you sort of like sparked a philosophical question for me. Mm -hmm. When you think of like the stereotypical Gen X generation and how they were parented, Mm -hmm. which was, of course, much more hands off, Mm -hmm. because there was such a nonchalance about parenting that occurred, do you think that that also helped sort of fuel this trend and shift into overparenting too? I've always thought it has a lot to also do with technology giving us so many more capabilities of getting information so that we really thrive in that. But I think as you say that, I think a lot of Gen Xers grew up with a lot of lack of control and chaos in their house. I was just talking to somebody actually who didn't know that drunk driving didn't used to be a thing. If you're a Gen Xer, we were parented by people where there was no such thing really as drunk driving. That wasn't a thing. Mothers Against Drunk Driving actually came into existence in 1980. Because the 70s was filled with drunk driving. The 60s, too. If you listen to stories of our parents who drank, which my parents didn't, but I've heard of other parents who drank, it was sort of like you drove in the front seat with your dad. Your job was to crack the beer and hand it to him while he drove. I mean, it was completely accepted that you drank and you drove. And parented all at once. All at once. You are drinking, driving, and parenting all at once. I think that there's definitely a lot of Gen Xers who are parents now, and we have a lot of listeners who are Gen Xers. We had a lot of chaos in our houses. Yep. And it's when divorce really started to happen. The other thing that happened too with our sense of control is that we had a lot of chaos. And then also it became much more socially acceptable, much more socially promoted actually to show control. So much more about how your house looked. There were no like HGTV shows when we were kids. You weren't posting and looking at your house. People weren't examining your house the way they are now. That's interesting you say that because I was raised by a perfectionist mom who was an interior designer. And I think of that whole leave it to beaver image of parenting. The wife and mother stayed home and made the house look perfect and make them look perfect too. So I do think there's always been that perfectionism. So it's an interesting combination of perfectionism, the leave it to beaver perfectionism, but underneath the surface, complete mayhem. Yes. And I would also say when you talk about now, because of social media and Instagram, I feel like everything in terms of how things look are simply on steroids to that degree. Everything is hyperbolically done. Right. I have a question for you after we take this break. As trite as it is, I think that control is best discussed when talking about a morning in any family's home and getting out the door. So let's talk about that. Okay. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists, 
and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded, so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me and if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple. Option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Dot 
Okay, we're back. So Lynn, when you were talking about control and chaos, one of the light bulbs that sort of went off in my head was that if you take an average family getting out the door in the morning, you know, some families sort of, they're kind of like always a hot mess. They never sort of get their act together (laughs) and they're always late and every morning looks completely different. But there are certain parents out there who would say, I will not tolerate that. Mm -hmm. And they have everything in order and everything is laid out the night before and everything has happened this way. And they do things instead of allowing their children to do them so that it's happening efficiently and correctly on the first shot. Mm -hmm. And that family gets out the door every morning at a specific time. Mm -hmm. Like, look, I totally get it that that is the goal. But when a parent is controlling that process every morning, there's no improvisation and flexibility where the child is problem solving his or herself, developing a sense of autonomy, learning, oh, I put this outfit together and it wasn't, it's not the right (laughs) right one. You know, I've got shoes on the wrong feet. I didn't realize they were shaped differently for each of our feet. Yeah. You know, all the way up to kids learning how, you know, in middle school or high school, how can they just make a really quick lunch on their own? How can they problem solve, open the fridge and say, I'm going to grab this and I'm going to grab that. This will do. It's learning that great skill of accepting this will do of it not always being perfect. When you talk about a family that's chaotic, so they're late Every morning, they're screaming and yelling, and it's chaos, and everybody dreads every single morning because it's going to be a shit show every morning. That's one group. Then we've got the other group that you're talking about, where everything is very exact. It's very demanding. The kids know what the routine is, and the parents are very much in charge of the routine. So nothing is left up to chance. So they don't make their own lunch. They don't pack their own snack. They don't pick out their own clothes. So that's one, right? And that's also pretty tense. So in scenario one, there's a lot of tension. In scenario two, there can be a lot of tension also because there is no room for deviation from the plan. Right. A lot of demands, a lot of reminding, a lot of what kids might say is nagging. Okay, so then what's scenario three? Well, here's scenario three. There are certain things that have to get done. And the goal is that we're going to leave the house every day or you're going to make the bus every day at a certain time. So you have an end point that you're shooting for. There are certain things that need to get done and certain things that should get done. But there are other certain things that we want to let your kids figure out, like you said, on their own. Say, for example, you are screaming at your child in the morning because they haven't done their hair. Who cares if your kid goes to school with messy hair? If you're screaming at your child because they haven't eaten breakfast, which a lot of kids don't like to eat in the morning, the goal then is to problem solve and figure out if the ultimate goal is to get out of the house at 745 so we can get to the bus or get to school. We got to work our way backwards. What are you going to be in charge of and what am I going to be in charge of? And if you don't do the things that you're in charge of, then let's see what happens. The funniest thing to me, actually, this is a good example of control. The funniest thing to me is the fights that parents have with kids on picture day at school. Here was my philosophy about picture day. I want a picture of my child that captures exactly who they were in fourth grade. That's what I want a picture of. So if their hair is messy, 
if they're missing some teeth, if they're wearing their favorite t-shirt that I don't particularly like or that doesn't fit, that's a picture of them in fourth grade. The funny thing about our school pictures is my son for three years in a row had the same t-shirt on because one of my sons does not care about what he puts on his body at all. Just randomly, he happened to be wearing the same t-shirt because that was the one that was at the top of his drawer because he wore it all the time. When we step in and try and make sure that everything goes the way I need it to go, you're exactly right, is they don't develop those skills of flexibility. It's not about trading control for chaos. It's about knowing what's the end goal, what's the important goal we're trying to reach, which is to get out of the house on time, and then who's in charge of what and what is going to be negotiable, what are we going to let go of, and how are we going to let our kids figure out the steps that they need to take in order to get out of the house on time. In our family, between me or my husband, if one of us is being a little controlling and rigid, we sort of call each other out on it to sort of snap out. It's because we both listen to the podcast. We're both like working on this. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to sort of know if you're in this and you don't have another adult saying you're in this, how to even be self-aware and snap out of it. When you think of your families and your practice, how self-aware are they when they are, in fact, very deeply in the weeds with all things? You know, it's interesting. People that are very controlling, most people, not all people, but most people that I see, parents that I see, they know they're controlling. They just have a hard time thinking about what life would be like if they gave that up. I'll tell you, this is an interesting story. Several years ago, my kids were little. I met a woman at the gym. I was talking to her on the phone. My kids were like one and three or two or four. She had five kids. It was a blended family, but she had five little kids in her house at any given time. I was talking to her on the phone about something. She was going to write it down. We regressed to some other topic. And then she said, oh, wait, hold on. I got to write that thing down. Hold on. I put the pen away. I got to get the pen back out. And I was like, what? So I said, wait a minute. You put the pen away? She goes like, yeah, I always put things away. So she was telling me that her house was perfect, that everything was always in its place. I heard her talk about this a few times and we were having a conversation once and I said to her, I said, Rebecca, I need you to tell me something. I want you to explain to me how you pull that off because my house is a freaking disaster and you have five kids in your house. How do you keep everything in its place? How do you manage that? How do you control that? And she said to me, I'm a complete bitch. <laughs> That's what she said. And she said, I follow my kids around. When they make a mess, I pick up right after them. They're only allowed to take one thing out at a time. And there are several things that they are not allowed to do. Like I would never let my kids make Play-Doh. I would never let them dump a whole bin of Legos out onto the floor. She said, I am so controlling. And if you ask them, they would tell you that. She was fully admitting it. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And she said, it's just the way I get through the day. And if I don't have everything where it needs to be, I feel really anxious. And so that's why I do it. So she was aware that she was doing it. Now, this was a friend and not a super close friend. So I wasn't going to like dig deep. I was actually surprised she was so honest with me. <laughs> if she's been a regular listener, she's like, holy crap. She's talking about <laughs> me. 
But honestly, I, I don't, I think she moved. I don't, you know, maybe she's listening. Hi, Rebecca. But it was really a helpful conversation because then she asked me, well, what's your life like? And I told her what my life was like. And she said to me, and it was kind of sweet. She said, I wish I could do what you do. Because I said, well, you know, my house is a mess. Legos are everywhere and we cook all the time and I'm teaching my kids how to make pancakes and I'm down on the floor with them. And she understood it. She recognized it. But she was being held hostage by her need of control, probably not really fully recognizing the impact on her kids. So if, I, if she was one of my clients, I'd have her bring her kids in. I'd have her listen to them talk about what it was like to have this mom that was so controlling. If you're always in that place of control, what's the one thing you're not feeling? Connection and joy. Right. Right? Yeah. She was saying, it feels so satisfying to me to have everything in control. Now, satisfaction is not joy. Probably like your high-powered, successful friend, she felt very satisfied to be able to control exactly what all her subordinates were doing. But it didn't feel like connection and it didn't feel like joy. It felt like predictability. It felt like control. And so sometimes people mistake the satisfaction you get from being in control to what really is true connection and joy. Other people don't generally enjoy your controlling behavior. Or the other people can't share in your satisfaction that you derive from your control. Right. So after we take a break, I think you should talk to all of us. What does that look like moving out of this pattern? No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. 
All right. So say you're listening to this and you're thinking, crap, I'm like Rebecca. I'm still laughing. Someone's like, I am Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Rebecca. Her name, I think her name is Rebecca. Like, seriously, this was somebody I knew when I first moved to Concord like 20 years ago. So she could live in Missouri or something. So if she's listening, that would be funny. So her name really is Rebecca. So if all of you don't have the name Rebecca and you're thinking, is she talking about me? No, her name was Rebecca. Okay, so let's talk about this idea of control and how satisfying it feels and how you can begin to shift it. The first thing I want you to pay attention to is that your sense of satisfaction when you have everything in control is actually impeding the ability for other people to problem solve. That may be your employees. It may be your spouse. It may be your children. When you take over and when you demand that things be done in the way that you want them to be done, you are squashing problem solving. You're squashing creativity. You're often squashing somebody else's joy, to be honest. Think that if you're making Play-Doh with your kids and you step in and you want to tell them how they're supposed to do their project, recognizing that that's one of the results of this. And may I say, you are also squashing your joy because you haven't given yourself the opportunity to see what it's like when somebody does something the way that they want it to be done and it comes out amazingly, or they're doing something in a way that you can really admire because it's not the way you do it. That is a pretty great experience to have in your work, in your marriage, in your friendships, and in your parenting. Watching somebody do something differently from you and appreciating their creativity and their problem solving. And that only happens when you step back and get out of the way. It reminds me of that very popular saying, what's hard now is easy later and what's easy now is hard later. Mm -hmm. It is hard for you to let go of that control, but the ability to let other people around strengthen their problem solving, strengthen their own abilities, then you have a team of competent people. Mm -hmm. If you inhibit your subordinates or your kids or your spouse's ability to figure out things, you're just retaining a model where everyone is dependent upon you. And from a professional standpoint, if you don't allow your subordinates to gain more autonomy and problem solving to grow and rise up and learn more, they're going to leave you. So it's bad business just as it's bad parenting. Yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize that there is joy to be found in allowing the people around you to blossom and bloom and grow and be creative, right? I mean, there's great satisfaction in seeing the people you care about in whatever role you're in, figuring things out and coming up with ways of doing things that are different from yours. And that's when people are controlling, they're not letting that happen. It's a little bit of a leap of faith if you're really controlling that other people have ways of doing things Some of the ways they do things are not going to be the way you would do them, but other times they're incredibly delightful. Just a silly example of you're picking out your children's clothes and making sure that everything matches and that kind of stuff. One of the greatest joys I had in parenting was when my kids would put on clothes that they picked out themselves, including, by the way, my son wearing his underwear on the outside of his pants for a period of time. 
it was totally freaking hysterical and adorable. I would not have chosen to wear my underwear outside my pants, but he did. It was really great. Think of an example of a college essay. So you have an idea of what you want your child to write their college essay about, and they come up with an idea that you never even thought of, that you didn't even know that they were thinking about. You're letting people be them instead of trying to make people be you. Let's interject because obviously the college essay example is like the chapter in parenting I'm closer to right now. (laughs) And no, no, no. I would just say, I've talked about this. I'm in these Facebook groups about parents and paying for college. And, you know, and I read all these posts, they would say like, oh, well, that would be fine if they had a great topic I hadn't thought of that they expounded upon. But I have to control their application process because they wouldn't do it otherwise. That's a very common thing instead. Yeah. My kids are not willing to do the work of the application process, so I'm going to control it. I bet you have something to say about that. Well, I mean, I think I've said this before. If you have a child who's not capable of applying to college, you probably have a child who's not capable of succeeding in college, right? If they can't figure out how to do the application process on their own because you have been doing it for them all along... And the only way they're going to complete their college application is if you are micromanaging it, you better pay attention to that. And we've talked about that a lot. Yeah. Again, it's not all or nothing. You don't say to a 17-year-old, you're on your own with this, figure it out. I mean, some kids really do because they have to. But you want to be a consultant, not a manager. And you want to help them. And getting through the college application process, it's not about abandoning them but it's about making sure that you are not micromanaging every aspect of the process. There's a difference between helping with executive functioning and getting things done and all that kind of stuff and really stepping in. I think what I'm talking about in large part is when your control squashes their independent thinking and their creativity too. Right. Of course, we're going to help. Of course, we're going to guide. Of course, we're going to be there. But I think most of us know the difference between somebody who's really helping their child get through a a pretty onerous process and a parent who's very in control of every aspect of it. I know for a fact there are parents that write their children's essay for them because they just don't trust that their child is going to be able to do it. It's the same parents who do those fourth grade science fair projects. Yep, exactly. When you're thinking about how controlling you are, A really good place to start, if we're thinking about control as a way that inhibits joy and connection and creativity, start there and back off and let your kids figure things out. Let them make their own lunch. Let them make their own snack. You give your family the freedom to pick out their own clothes with reasonable guidance, of course, but not stepping in and having your own agenda down to the detail, be that prominent part of your life. It just doesn't work. Long-term, it just doesn't work. Yeah. The other thing that you can think about, and I know this sounds a little cliche and it sort of will evoke eye rolls in a lot of us actually, but you hear the statement all the time that it's not the destination, it's the journey. Okay. We hear that all the time. Okay. Sometimes it's the destination people. And sometimes the journey is not all that interesting because you're getting to a place that's going to be pretty awesome. So I get that. But I think what we want to pay attention to is we're talking about this in the context of control. 
is that if you are overly focused on whatever that outcome is, whatever that destination is, people who are controlling, people who are always focused on what they're going to get are not present in the present. If you are controlling, oftentimes you have a very future focus, which truly doesn't allow you to enjoy the journey. If we're talking again about college applications, right? If you are going through high school with your kids, I talk to so many parents who their focus of high school entirely with their kids is this college process. I will tell you, being the parent of a high schooler is really, really great. It is an amazing time of development. It is amazing time of connection. It's an amazing time to watch them flourish and grow. And if all you're doing is focusing on controlling the outcome, you're going to miss the very, very wonderful parts of the journey. The journey isn't always great. And sometimes the destination is the destination. But I think when we're controlling and we're so future focused on how much money we're making or what our house is going to look like or where our kids are going to get into college or whether or not anybody sees us as making a mistake or what our ultimate goal is in the company we work for, we miss out on the present. It keeps you disconnected. And as I've said a gazillion times, anxiety is an internally focused state that results in disconnection and enjoyment of the things and the people around you. Two things. I think people listening should really think about what you said earlier. Where can you exchange the satisfaction of controlled outcomes for something better, enabling other people to develop their own skills of problem solving and their own autonomy? Where can you exchange that satisfaction so that you can be more present Because if you're not in that anxious state of managing the outcome, you are in a state more capable of connection with others. Mm -hmm. So being a control freak is not a joyous path. It's not. I haven't met any joyous control freaks. Have you? You know, one of our family's sort of sayings that my grandfather always said, which of course sounds so toxic now. Yeah. Was if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. Oh, yes. I've heard that too. Right. So you hear that. I would say I do delegate and I learned to delegate to that degree. But I still hold that as like a core principle belief. It's it's my default principle belief, right? Mm -hmm. So what if we change that a little bit to if you want something done the way you want it done, you better do it yourself. That's exactly right. And what I wanted to also emphasize is there's the whole thing of, but I wanted it just so. Yeah. If you're the kind of person who wants something just so, you need to check in where all sorts of other anxiety patterns could be present and taking you out of the present moment. The phrase, I like it just so, sounds so innocuous, doesn't it? But it's so not. It's so not, right? When somebody says, oh, I just want it just so. That's like, back off. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's the rigidity. Yep. It's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It is that I am not okay with winging it. Mm -hmm. Right. Or I don't have the confidence in myself that I can wing it, which is really something that we want kids to have that sense of the ability to go inside of themselves and pull out the resources that they need to handle a problem that maybe it's the first time they're coming up against this problem 
but they have a sense inside that, okay, I can figure this out, which is very different than I have to control exactly how things are going to go. Instead of thinking about, okay, so I have to get rid of my control, if you start thinking about how you're going to focus on enabling that skill, that skill of being a problem solver, that skill of thinking on your feet, that skill of actually tolerating that people will do things differently than you, that's another really important skill to have. Then we're talking about building skills. So just pay attention to those things. I think that's a positive way to frame it up is that it's what we're trying to offer ourselves and our kids so that we can move through this world. And the crazier the environment, oftentimes, as we talked about, the more you want to control it. Let's not see control as the solution to crazy environments. It's not a good long-term plan. Do you think anyone in our family is still listening to our podcast? At the beginning, they used to listen. Like during lockdown. Yeah, it was kind of new and fun at the beginning. Like Lynn and Robin had a podcast. And now, I don't, I don't know if they're... I know my sister listens. Hi, Nancy. I think we should do this. Okay. <laughs> if you're in the family and you're listening to this podcast, yeah, you should drop a GIF in the family chat so that we'll know you actually listened. A GIF of your choosing that somehow is symbolic of the fact that you're uh, still listening. We'll leave it up to you. We'll be flexible and not controlling about what your GIF is going to be. If anyone's actually listening, we have a big active family chat. The gift should be of a certain theme, but not give away why they're posting it so that nobody else posts it and gets credit for listening when they have it. <laughs> okay, so you have to post a gift that is a nice, friendly family gift that won't reveal that we're trying to determine whether or not you're listening to the podcast. There you go, family. There's Lynn and Robin not being controlling. <laughs> Hi, family. Goodbye, family. We love you. Send us a gift. <laughs> if this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. 
Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.